Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT Podcast. I'm joined today by Gilad Langer, who's the industry practice lead at Tulip Interfaces. Welcome, Gilad. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And I um, was really appreciative when you said you'd come back and be on the pod, Gilad. So I know someone your very high reputation in the industry. So maybe you could start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So, you know, um, as, as I mentioned before, um, this is, a, you know, the, the point we're in in the industry is, is something that's very close to heart for me because, uh, in fact, I started my career in academia back in the 90s working on research projects that uh, were really the archetype or the, 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 the fundament of what we call Industry 4.0. So things like IoT, digital twin, we didn't really call them that. We had these very uh, uh, long abbreviations and acronyms because we were academic. Um, and since then, you know, I, I left academia in the 90s and went to work for industry and worked in a number of uh, different roles, mostly in what we would call the manufacturing system space, touched many of the systems that we know today. Um, and then, you know, a few years ago, uh, I realized that everything that we were talking about is now is becoming uh, reality with Industry 4.0. Uh, so I stepped back into and took roles um, mostly with startups uh, to, to try and bring this, this to the industry. Uh, currently, I'm working at Tulip. Uh, and Tulip is, I would say, at the forefront of what, what is Industry 4.0. Um, I also spent quite a lot of years in the life sciences industry. So I'm very, very much also uh, part of Pharma 4.0, actively working on some of the Pharma 4.0 initiatives. Okay, really interesting background then, because a lot of people start maybe in manufacturing and, and learn through Industry 4.0, et cetera. But to start in academia is a really interesting starting point for you. Um, so I, I know Tulip a little bit from, from what I've seen and the disruptive nature of the business. So maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of an o- overview as well into the Tulip. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, the uh, in general, the, the uh, short description, Tulip is a no-code platform that enables uh, you to digitize and instrument your manufacturing processes. Uh, and with that, they, you know, it's a digital way to support all the logistics and production control and, and continuous improvement and operation excellence initiative uh, that you have in a typical manufacturing type of, uh, of environment. Um, but really, you know, I think it, it brings around two very important things that are part of digital transformation. So we, you know, we talk about digital transformation, you know, everybody thinks about technology, but, you know, mm-hmm. technology is really just an enabler. And you can argue that it has been enabled also in Industry 3.0, plenty of systems and automation that we use there. But what it does is it, it makes the use of technology and software so simple. Now it becomes every, every everybody's uh, domain. It democratizes sure. the ability to digitize the shop floor. So process engineers who typically work in Excel and Word and other type of, of you know, even more advanced programs, now have the ability to create software to enable their operators to do things better, capture more data, improve quality, et cetera. It, it's a really interesting space. And I guess from, from my background, Gillen, is, is recruiting maybe traditional MES platforms, the you know, monolithic systems, the on-prem systems. And I guess what companies like Tulip are doing are, are quite exciting to see, modular, no-code, low-code. So, yeah, it's great to see the kind of industry evolving as, as Industry 4.0 evolves as well. Um, yes. And, and, you know, again, we have to think about it. It's, it, it really is more than an evolution at this point. This is a yes. paradigm change. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call it a revolution because it's, it's not, 
It's not driven that way. But we've come to uh, what some people call an inflection point, where something in the in the industry as a whole is, you know, changing direction or uh, or changing at a rate that is more than 10x what's going yeah. on. And this is at the core of what, what industrial revolutions are. Throughout the history, these industrial revolutions, when they came apart, when they came through, sorry, they, they brought with them an order of magnitude productivity increase. And that's what people are after. It's not the technology. Really, if you talk to executives, you know, why are they, this interest, if you will, and it goes all the way up to the World Economic Forum. And you think, why would a World Economic Forum be so interested in industry 4.0? It's because of that productivity, that, that order of magnitude productivity gain, which means financially also have, has implications. And that's what the executives are after. So I use that as a measure of, you know, when you say, is this technology truly industry 4.0 technology? It really, the answer, the question you should ask is, can it bring about an order of magnitude productivity gain in my factory, in my line? If it can't, it's not industry 4.0, regardless of how many buzzwords the, the technology comes with. Wow, I mean that's a really interesting perspective, and I, I, you know, that's not something I've heard before. So, I guess that's that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that on that front. Um, I, I guess kind of where where my train of thought was going with with asking you, Gerd, is that you know your industry practice lead. Maybe firstly, what, what does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I do a number of things with Tulip. So, industry practice lead is really a. a, a it's a new technology, it's a new paradigm. You know, people are not just going to wake up one day and adopt this. You know, it's not, you can't throw an iPhone. If you've been, if you use flip phone all your life and you throw an iPhone at you, it's like you need a bit of, you know, a bit of guidance in, in it. Because again, why, why would, you know, why would you use an iPhone? It's completely different. Than this. Again, order of magnitude productivity, order of yes. magnitude, different way. You know, they think about once you know how to use an iPhone and you think about flip, flip phones, like just writing a text. You know, the ability to write a text or transcribe yeah, yeah. a text is so much different and gives you so much more value, right? So, industry practice really is the collection of all the all the expertise that we have with the company, both you know, experience with the industry, but also expertise with this. And we bring this to our customers because we understand this is a paradigm shift, and nobody's going to yes. go, "Oh, yes, I'm going to throw everything out that I have and put this new stuff because." So that's really what it is. It's, it's a change agent. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to bring this to the industry, but also, uh, you know, also bring bring in industry knowledge back into the company. How, yes, how do okay. we bring, you know, how, yeah, because, you know, things like uh, lean and production control and how you run a factory and, you know, how you do sampling and all the other stuff that goes there, that, that's not going to go away. These are, these are practices that regardless of technology, you know, you need when you run a factory. So that needs to be brought back into the company as well. Okay, no, that makes sense. And I guess a big part of any business at the moment is educating the customer and making sure they're understanding the steps needed to digitally transform. But again, where does that line cross from someone like yourself then between listening to the customer and understanding what they want and what they think and what their journey they're on versus you bring in new technology or disruptive technology to them? Where is that? Middle ground. So it's you know any of the any 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 of these uh, uh, type of changes that come about they they they're not they don't happen uh, uh, discreetly. It's not like one day I wake up and I'm all transformed. <laughs> there is there, you know it, it, there is a uh, it's a process and it takes time. 
and you know what you 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 know you can i usually decide you know people when you do traditional product management you go to the customer and say okay mr customer what do you want and you know and then you go back and say oh you know we will build a similar product now that, that works pretty good for retail because you observe somebody on how he i don't know shops for for shoes yes right and that's not going to change a lot but manufacturing is a bit more complicated right i mean if you take a look at any manufacturing plant there is a you know there's people that have at least a four-year degree in something. It takes some time to understand how to run a plant. It's not yeah. buying shoots, right? So, you know, it's a bit, the, the complexity is is much more there. And therefore, you know, you know so then at the same time, you know, it, it, you, you can't go to a plant that is even, I would say, advanced and say, hey, what do you want of this new technology if they've never seen it before? And I equate it to, it's like, you know, if you go to some remote village in the in a, in I don't know the Amazons and you bring with you, uh, you know, do you know what a Yugo is? You know the, the Yugo cards. So it's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fiat like uh, and Fiat ones, and you bring that to them and say, "Hey guys, this is the best car in the world." Of course, they'll <laughs> say yes. They've never seen a car before, right? Okay. Um, and but that doesn't mean that that's what fits them, etc. So you have to have, and that's essentially what we do. Is like I say, okay, guys, we understand that you're running your plan. But the scenario. So, what if we could, you know, bring this technology and it could do this for you? And that's kind of an eye opener. Go, oh, okay, we haven't thought about that way. And then we start the discussion there. Okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I guess maybe that feeds on to my next question. And and maybe you know, I know you spend extensive time within you know pharma, biotech, regulated manufacturing. But do you see a, a different industry shift between which industries are maybe more a little bit open to change and open to adopting some of the industry 4.0 yes yes of course and this you know this is the age-old adage that in order to have change you need a crisis for change yes now uh you know uh, there's plenty of examples of that so industries that are doing well and i equate the crisis to profit margins right so industries that are that are doing well with heavy profit margins or or you know uh they 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 naturally will not uh, uh have a hard time with change yeah. So what we see is that actually industries where the profit margins are low, they are actually much opener and adopting change at a faster rate than industries where. The, so let's take life sciences, even within life sciences. You know, uh, we, we went through the pandemic and they're making, you know, uh, they're making good profits right now. <laughs> uh, and so they when you, you know, and it's funny because they are at the bleeding edge of finding new th therapies and new uh, ways to treat, treat things. But when you say, hey, let's put in some new technologies in your manufacturing plant, they go, no, we're doing well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and if you go, but then if you go to uh, a producer of uh, antibiotics in a third world country where there's heavy, heavy competitive pressure, they're very open to change. Yes. Uh, and I think you see that across. So food and beverage. Where profit margins are very very thin, CPG, uh, some some uh, you know some assembly and traditional like a retail assembly, that's electronic assembly, they're open to that because they they have you know their profit margins are low and they have a competitive uh, space, um, so that's you know uh, industry where they're highly automated, for example semiconductor, there there's more resistance there to change. So okay. it really depends on the, on the industry. It's not. Necessarily, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You have to look at it from a kind of a profit margin, competitive pressure type of uh, scenario where the crisis is. Yeah. No. Again, I guess that makes sense. So I guess in some respects, it's almost counterintuitive as well, doesn't it? You know, the whole things are going well, so we don't need to change. 
you know, that's, uh, I'm sure that's what, you know, the uh, automotive yeah. manufacturers yeah. thought as well for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, you know, there was a crisis there for sure. And, you know, you, there's many examples of that, right? Yeah. In the in third the industrial revolution that came about, and I would equate that, it's, it's a combination of the lean movement together with the, with the advent of the PLC. You know, the, the American car industry was in crisis. They were getting, they were getting, they were getting, uh, 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 they were getting beat by the, by the Japanese and they had to change. So the semiconductor went through the same cycle in 2001. It's one of the most advanced, highly automated industry in the world and lean industries in the world right now. But that, that was a crisis that, that caused that. It's an interesting one when you take that step back and look at the bigger picture, as you say, from the crisis and those companies that are on that curve versus maybe not. Um, my next question was going to be a, around maybe some of the common challenges that that you face. So someone like yourself and, and kind of educating the customer, but also kind of relaying a little bit of some of the adoption that they want to have. Is there a common thread and theme on the kind of challenges that manufacturers are having that you're seeing? Yes, there is for sure. And there's also industry, uh, yeah, there's an industry perspective to that. Uh, um, you know, the... the um, so there's this. I'm going to try and generalize. Uh, the, the whole notion of democratization is a bit uh, is is hard for them to grasp. It, it's intuitive in a way, but there, there's you know we're so set in our ways and the way we we operate with integrators, etc. If you want to put a new machine in, you call your 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 supplier and your integrator, and they come in, they put it, turn key, and go on. Right. If you need to change something, you have to go back to your supplier and change it for you. Now comes this notion of, well, you don't have to, you can actually build these automations yourself. Mm. That's surprising. And then so there's, you know, there's a bit of a mindset shift there as it comes, it comes around. Um, uh, paper is still pretty prevalent. And that, you know, the, the transformation of paper to digital is still problematic. It was problematic in the industry 3.0. People have to get their heads out of the paper uh, or out of the Excel sheet. Um, I think that that's pretty relevant uh, from that perspective. Um, but you know, the, the other things is, is the things like, uh, augmented reality, the use of vision cameras. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes I get even surprised by the fact that people, just the fact that they think it's so expensive. So <laughs> you, you, you would say, well, why don't we put a sensor on the line and a camera to look at something? And, you know, the immediate reaction is, well, wait. Three, four thousand dollars. Uh, we need to go buy something again. No, you can go on Amazon. It's sixty dollars, and the sensor I think is thirteen. Okay, wow. And you know, it, it, there's a bit of like, well, well, no, but that's not industrial grade. And yes, it is actually. You, you can use it, right? Um, and you know, it's a mind. There's a, there's a whole you know there's a whole mindset shift that goes around. You know how easy it is. It, at the bottom is how easy you can do things, but it's also a very very easy way to prove value. It's like, that's order of magnitude productivity gain. The fact that it's order of magnitude cheaper and order mm. of magnitude faster to get to the point where you can get value. That's the order of magnitude gain. That's what we're looking for. So that's a way to check if technology truly is industry 4.0. I mean, that, that's a really interesting one. And I guess, you know, most companies would assume that you're going to charge, as you say, five, six grand for a sensor or a camera. And when you highlight for such a small amount, you can really start to see, you know, some return on value. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We talk about yeah. the, sorry, go ahead. I'd say, I just want to bring another example. You know, when, when uh, if you recall SCADA systems, 
when they came around and this I'm talking you know the uh, wonder wears the world that story you know they they it, kind of a similar to this they they put these industrial systems on windows computers which were cheap at the time before that you had to have dedicated systems and and advanced system and the there was it's kind of the same scenario it's like you cannot put an industrial system on a cheap computer <laughs> Right. That was the, that was the, that was the, uh, what they were arguing. wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. And I guess sometimes, you know, we do associate cost with value, don't we? So we, we naturally fall into that pattern. Um, one right. of the things that you, you mentioned is, is the order of, of change magnitude. That makes a lot of sense. And I've not really thought about that much before, but when you speak to customers, is that a really easy way to identify whether that business is primed for a, digital transformation or whether they've got the right change mindset, whether they understand that? No, I mean, there's a personal, I mean, they're also, you know, people matter, right? Of course. And that's what we say, the human, but you know, like, you know, when you, when you look at how Toyota talks about change, they, they classify, um, they, they classify uh, the groups into distinct groups as the early adopters, which we all know, those are the people that mm-hmm. like technology and are going to this, and they're going to bring it into the mainstream, which is the, the people that are going to adopt the technology, but they're just kind of in the middle, and there's the majority. Of course, then on the other side, there's what they what they call the lean the, in the lean speed. They call it concrete heads. People are never <laughs> going to get it. Yeah. Uh, so really, you have to understand that that mechanism. You have to understand who you're talking to, right? You need to, and you need to identify your champion and your change agent, the ones that are going to carry it. And then there's this notion of, of bottoms up versus the top down. Right? The, one of the things that characterizes these new technologies is that they are kind of grassroots bottoms up types of things that, you know, a process engineer takes something quickly, quickly shows value, loves it. You know, he's your champion. He brings it up to the mainstream, but then you get this top down motion. Okay. This is technology. This is it. You know, you get the, uh, the corporate, uh, uh, people coming down and saying, can we really use it? Do we, you know, does it fit our architect or our, structure uh would it really show value at scale and you really need to manage both of those if you want to get into a company and be successful yeah and i think that's one of the hardest things isn't it to really kind of identify those different criterias where you maybe score a customer of whether they're ready for that change and and how efficient they'll be at adopting that change because you know the saying is you can only lead a horse to water and and if that mindset isn't changed you can include all of the tech that you want but if the operators, the people using it, are not ready for that change or are not educated on the benefits of that change, you're not going to see return. Exactly. And that's what you were after. So the best, you know, nobody can argue, nobody can argue uh, when you show success or show value. We see a lot of people picking up a process engineer, finding a technology, finding Tulip, doing a little, uh, you know, a little pilot, a little app that shows some level of improvement. Maybe he can defect tracks a few things and shows some correlation. It goes up to supervisor manager. And once you get there and the manager can see, well, you know, this guy spent very, you know, I didn't have to pay anything yet, right? Mm-hmm. Because you use free trial or maybe you paid for some, you know, for, for some, some uh, small uh, subscription and he showed value quickly. You can argue with that. And that's what you're looking for, right? You need to come back and say, you know, they, they, somebody did something and it showed value. That's that. That is what works in manufacturing. We can't get away from it. Manufacturing is all about improvement and optimization. 
and, and you know that's the name of the game. And if you don't show that, then you're dead in the water. And that's where traditional technologies have failed because they could not show very quickly show value. You had to do a yeah. top-down approach. You had to put all the system in. You had to show, you know, you had to go through the whole capital, you know, capital, uh, uh, the, the whole ROI and capital expenditure process and show that you're going to do it. And then you have to wait years until you can come back. And then that time, not necessarily show value. The fact that you can, and, and it, that's why it fits lean, right? Lean is all about that. Walk your plan, do your gamble walk, identify opportunity, change it, show value, build on momentum. The new digital technologies align to that methodology. And that's why they can be successful. And if they don't align again, it's another way to check. If they don't align to that methodology, well, then you have really have to question whether this is truly uh, game changing. It's really interesting. And I think for me, one of the real things that I keep hearing is that time to value or speed to value, because it's so important these days to have that acceptance of whether this investment is actually going to return something rather than wait 18 months, 24 months for a you know, monolithic system to be installed, implemented up and running. You know, can you get that quick return and get the buy-in? Right. So, so, so I, sorry to speak over there, Gilad. So, <laughs> no problem. What I was going to say also, the, the natural shift as well is, is where the, the population is shifting. You know, you've gone 25 years in your career where you started before when these buzzwords now weren't buzzwords, they were long <laughs> academic words. So, so what are you seeing now in terms of the workforce that you're working with? Is there a, a mindset shift, a culture shift to, to adapt to latest technologies? Yes, for sure. I mean, we, everybody talks about workforce 4.0, the fact that the young people are digitally native, they expect uh, you know, some of these technologies. That's not the, you know, I mean, I think, I think the, there's, the, the problem is the, the, that, you know, the, the young people have not made it all the way, if you will, uh, to management. Some have, and you know, there's a transition, of course, and much depends on the company that you're working dealing with. And I think uh, the, the bigger risk right now is that this young workforce, as they come to these plants and start looking at how things are done, and they, they, they're meeting these archaic systems, uh, that they, at first of all, they don't even know how to use them. <laughs> uh, and, and then they get, you know, they, they get told to like, you have no choice, you have to do that. So they, it stifles innovation. The fact that you have these older technologies that, that you have to adapt to stifles innovation and people very quickly get into this manner of like, okay, you know, uh, I'm going to work with this ERP that is archaic and I have to do all these weird things to get stuff and then within the six, six months that they're used to doing this and they get stuck and they're basically getting into the groove they're stuck in the in that big hole, and they have then hard time to leave to, to get out of it. Yeah, and I guess the, the the challenge I see is that yes, coming into technology, that's the sexy world to enter for a lot of people entering the workforce. But you know, being on the you know the manufacturing side, the shop floor, the dirtier side of the business, having that experience is so critical. But how do you get people away from you know sitting with the cool iPad to then being on the dirty concrete floor of the business? Well, I, the question is, do you have to? I mean, mm, I think okay. that's the problem. The fact that you're 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 telling them no, leave the iPad outside and come to the floor. You know, I I, I have you know, this is I, 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 a story that I typically tell. It, it it's based on a, a, a real life scenario, but not to this extreme. But <laughs> you know, you have the you 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 have a plant manager right that, that drives into his plant with his Tesla, parks it, charges it, right. 
has all it's connected to his phone and his watch and their wearables and all that. And he walks into his office, and, you know, it's all gadgety. And then you walk up to him and say, well, why don't we put some of this stuff, some of this technology on your shop floor? He goes, no, that's untested. You know, <laughs> they don't, they, they, you know, they're afraid to put it on. And why, if you ask, is because that's not what he's measured on. He's not measured on the gadgetry. He's measured on the plant, you know, whatever it is, adhering to schedule, keeping the volumes up, making sure that he could produce the quality. And if you bring I mean, we put a gadget in there and they go, how is that going to impact that? Is it going to bring me so much more quality that I'm going to take the risk to put in something that is maybe, you know, uh, uh, not, I'm not sure about? And that's the issue. So if you can prove it, and that's what that's what I'm saying is like we don't need to put an you know we don't need to transform the whole plant to be like Tesla like sure. we can just start somewhere small and show that it does work and then we can go from there. That's low risk, rapid time to value, and that's what plant managers want. I, I guess that makes a lot of sense, and I can really envisage that. And I guess you, you, you're going to have that, aren't you? Where some people in there, maybe other areas of life, happy to adopt technology, happy to accept that it works de-risk but then when it comes to their shop floor they maybe be a little bit nervous no that that makes a lot of sense so yeah. one of my questions next get up is going to be so i guess you've been in that really nice part of the world where you've worked with the technology companies but then you've also been a consultant and you've led engagements and stuff so with so many companies offering digital solutions digital transformation industry 4.0 solutions blah 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 how can a company, a manufacturer, identify the right partner? What nuggets can you share with the audience who, who might be sitting there at the manufacturer side thinking, how do we see the wood from the trees with all of these companies selling Industry 4.0? Yeah, exactly. And it's really hard. So, you know, I, I call it the, uh, you know, we, of course, when, when, new, when these technologies come about, there's huge opportunity and huge opportunity, a lot of startups, a lot of people trying different things. And, and as you said, how do we, we it's a, so it's like springtime. Well, I live in California. So in spring, in, uh, you know, we have like at spring that all the flowers are up and like, you know, it's everything is coming out. Everything is, 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 is green. You know, how do you pick the right seeds? How do you, you know, how do you, uh, it's really hard. And this is, uh, you know, without a doubt. Uh, I, there's, there's a few things I think at a high level that you have to think about. First of all, these are emerging technologies. So the notion of trying to, to find something that is true and tested, forget about it. Okay. I actually have to think about it in a way that I want to test and try as much of this new technology as possible. So what you need to do is in the company, establish a way where you can continue, continuously evaluate these technologies, whether they're going to bring you value or not. And not just go, oh, we're going to go and, and again, just, you know, top down. Oh, industry 4.0, we'll do an industry 4.0 roadmap. Here's the technologies we're going to, you know, uh, uh, go with. And But it, it changes so fast that as soon as you put that roadmap together, it's already obsolete. It's already legacy. Because you haven't encountered some of the, you know, technologies that are, are maybe coming down, improvements that your existing technology vendors are going to have. So it needs to be a process of continuous evaluation. Of these new technologies and how they, you know, how they fit and how they, how they uh, you can bring value. That's one. The other is that there are some, as I, and I mentioned a few of them, some very simple rules that you can put in place in terms of evaluating whether uh, these truly are going to be beneficial. And the first of all is that is this notion of bottoms up and high, uh, value. You need to be able to show value very quick, right? In a, in a, in a specific area, like go do a gimbal walk, find a place where you you, you there's a problem. 
and say, okay, all of these technologies that I'm evaluating, which, which, can, which will be a good fit for this, evaluate them. See if they bring value very quickly. If they, if they have this, uh, this ability to, to, to align with your lean process uh, or this continuous improvement process. Then there's two other things that are, I usually use to classify whether. The first one is democratization. Does this technology bring around democratization? Does it make, you know, can a process engineer, quality engineer, supervisor, operator use this technology out of the box? Think about an app in your iPhone. Like I, I you mm -hmm. know, I, I, my analogy I have with my kids, you know, they, 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 first of all, they have multiple apps and you probably also do multiple mm -hmm. apps to do the same thing. You don't have to have one, you can have many. And how do they check if it works? They'll download it from the store, app place or whatever, play or play or, or app, whatever you're using. If they can't learn how to use it within the first 30 seconds and it, it, it brings them value, it's out. It's a good right? point. It's the same process. Like you need to be able to use this, understand it, et cetera. You can't just, oh, you need a week of training. That doesn't work. So that's 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 uh, uh, democratization is is uh, the other one is this how uh, this notion of bottoms up. You need to be able to use that technology isolated in a little place of your plant. If they come back and say no, we need to install the system. You need to create all this master data. We need to connect to ERP and bring data down. Otherwise, we can't configure it properly. That's not you know that's not uh, a a, uh, a democrat. Oh, sorry, uh, bottoms up. Type of technology. Simple rules like that will get you, will help you weed it down to really uh, some of the, the, this. And of course, the use case itself, right? You know, yeah. if you want to help the operator in with, you know, to do the right, you know, work instruction type, that's a different thing than capturing data about the uh, performance of the machine versus capturing data around how we executing to, to uh, you know, adhering to schedule and other, other things. So it, it needs to fit all these different use cases. I think those are really good nuggets of wisdom, Gilad. So thanks for sharing those. And I think those will be really beneficial to companies trying to identify the right partner from, I don't know, the cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of, one I of think the there's a lot of, there's a lot of rebranding. We have to, that's kind of what you have to watch out. You know, again, everybody's trying to ride the wave of industry 4.0. Yes. You can take, you can take your Yugo and put a you put a put a you know one of these uh, kits on them, and it make it looks like a Ferrari. Yeah, but you have to kind of scratch the paint to see that truly it's, it isn't right. No, I think that's a fair comment, and, and I guess maybe this leads on to my next kind of question. One of the things I keep hearing, I mean, what I've seen the last couple of years, and, and probably you're the same on, on on LinkedIn especially, is the rise of these industry 4.0 influencers, the, these manufacturing influencers, and and one of the things that I keep hearing is that manufacturers they need to become data companies they need to harness their data they need to harness their insights so naturally there's this natural kind of conversation now about how do companies harness their new data where do they start which data is important to harness what are your thoughts on that whole kind of data companies manufacturing etc yeah so that, that that comes from the uh, the core of industry 4.0 so the industry 4.0 as it was framed up in, in germany Framed up these um, uh, the the, the uh, maturity the maturity scale, right? The six stages of maturity scale, and if you really read through that, you will see that it has to do with being able to gain gain insights from your data. So capturing data in a way that you can create, you know, uh, but that's only one dimension, right? So the data is one dimension. The other dimension is this human centricity and this bottoms up. It's not enough just to capture data. You also have to bring in the human. If you take a look at digital technology. If you take a look at digital technology outside of manufacturing, 
Uh, the example I usually bring is uh, is Uber, Uber and Lyft, which mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody knows, right? Why, you know, what is Uber and Lyft? If you ask the question, Uber, Uber and Lyft, by the way, and many more, I think there's now <laughs> and there's many different variants of it, right? Uh, essentially, it's a ta taxi service. Under the hood, it's a taxi service, right? So what's different? Because So comparable to manufacturing, you have a line that produces something. That's the taxi service, right? It doesn't change. It needs to do that, right? The difference is two things. And then I'll bring back to this. First of all, it's democratized. Why is it democratized? Everybody can be a taxi service provider and everybody can be a taxi service consumer. So democratize the taxi service. And how did it do that? Well, first of all, it makes it easier for humans to consume the service, both provide and consume the service. If I want to be a taxi service provider, I need to get an app. I need to fill out a questionnaire. They do some checks and off you go. And you need a car, by the way. Okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes they'll even provide the car for you, but you know, so you know they'll actually lease the car for you. But that, so that's you know that's that's uh, the, the the from a provider perspective, from a consumer perspective, I just need an iPhone or sorry, mm -hmm. a, a smartphone, right? And and how and, and then they go okay, so that's the human part of it. It's not enough just to have data. Of course, the data comes in because guess what? How do they find how to dispatch a, a, a taxi to or a, a taxi to you? Well, they have all the data, the GPS data. They know this. They have algorithms that run like it, you know. It's not who is the closest. It's how fast can they get to you and and your preferences as well. That's how yes. they use the data, right? But the data means nothing in the without the context of the human who's going to consume it and the the, the what we need to, to do with it. So, okay. you know, reading through this like. We've been collecting data for the last 30, 40 years. We have, uh, you know, historians and systems and all this data. Can you use the data for something? No. So it has, you know, you can't just say, oh, we have data. It's not, it's not enough. It needs to be in a usable format where you can actually find the benefit of having that data. You have to ask the why. What is it going to be used for in the context of yes. the human who is going to consume and make decisions based on it, right? It all, it's all about... So again, it's all about performance. How can we, you know, is the data going to give you an, an, an order of magnitude productivity gain? Yeah. Just having the data is not going to give you any productivity gain. Um, I think that's a really good, really good conversation there, Gilad. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to share your insights. And I think what we've got there is a lot of nuggets of wisdom that hopefully the listenership can really benefit from. So I appreciate your participation. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. It's, it's been a pleasure to get to, uh, you know, express my views and, and, and share them, you know, uh, very openly. No, good stuff. Well, thanks, Gilad. Thank you.